Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Hey everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast. Excited to share episode 34 with Jeff Goldenberg. Jeff is a client-side marketing veteran with 15 years in the industry, mentors at 500 Startups and Google Startup Next. He ran marketing and customer acquisition for Borowell, culminating in 100,000 free credit scores given out and fintech partnerships with CIBC. In our discussion, we talk about leadership with Facebook, building culture, and growing a company. But before getting started, I would like to thank my immediate partners, IT World Canada and Startup Canada for the support of the podcast. Enjoy the show. Jeff, thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Why don't we just start off with you? If you could just tell the listeners who you are, tell us what you'd like to do when you're not being a thought leader in marketing or building or growing businesses. Well, it's nice to meet your your listeners. My name is Jeff. I've been a startup founder since about the year 2001. I've worked with um, a whole bunch of different startups and have spent a lot of time thinking about startups. When I'm not thinking about startups, I love traveling. Um, I'm actually going to Italy later on this week, so I'm really excited to unwind a little bit. And uh, yeah, just hanging out with friends and talking and following politics. I'm pretty obsessed with world politics lately, as you can understand. And um, yeah, just uh, spend time with my kids. I had a, a baby fairly recently. So there's never a quiet moment, never a dull moment, I should say. So I want to just jump in. I know it's fairly new, but you, your agency, it's about over a year old and I'll get you more into it. But tell us about Abacus, your current role in, and perhaps what your, the current mission of yourself and, and the vision of the company itself. Sure. So we started at Abacus, myself and my partner, Peter, to be the best Facebook marketers around in terms of paid social and, and Facebook and Instagram. So um, we saw an industry that had a lot of um, agencies that were generalists. And we had a hypothesis that if we became a specialist, we could just get really, really good. So we actually went through a process in, in a number of months, Peter and I, ideating on what we thought the agency client world was going to look like in the year 2020, which believe it or not, is only about 27 months from now. It's not even that far away. Like the ideas that we plant in people's heads now are g- is going to be what makes 2020. So it's pretty crazy to think about. And Abacus became kind of like a reverse engineering of what we thought agencies might look like in the future. They're lean, they're data-driven, they're more scientific than artistic, they're focused, and they're performance-driven. And I've only been in advertising for a year, but it's um, become really clear to me that not that many marketers are performance-driven. It's like something we take for granted in startup world, but... Yeah, performance is not at the forefront of a lot of these people's strategies. Oh, it's very interesting. And what, what I got from there is, and when I read about you and I learned of you, I'm, I'm sure I've sp- I seen you speak once before in the past, but you do come from the marketing side. And what's interesting is that you just mentioned you're in advertising now. So t- tell me about that shift, I mean, in, for you yourself and how you're able to grow like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I never had really thought about um, a service business. I'd sort of consulted on my own before, so I got the idea of selling contracts and delivering services. But <clears throat> most of my um, experience had been in product businesses. When I was working at Borowell, which was the company I was with before starting Abacus, uh, we worked really closely with Facebook Canada. And that was really cool because, A, I got to learn the platform and how to do performance marketing on the platform, like what works and what doesn't. But also I got to like learn about some opportunities that were out there in terms of where the market's underserved and through sort of immersing myself in those people and, and those opportunities, the beginning sketch of Abacus seemed came together, which was like, if we can get really good and keep running similar growth experiments for a whole bunch of different clients and a whole bunch of different verticals, we're going to, and we hire the best people, we're going to probably become really good at it and be able to transfer the learnings from one sector into another. Then we had some nice news that Facebook decided to manage us, and that was really early in our uh, existence. <clears throat> so now we have a really close relationship with Facebook US, and they teach us everything that's working and how to do creative properly and all kinds of stuff. So we really feel like we're firing on all cylinders right now. And it's good to be, yeah, and it's good to be close to the back end provider to the platform. And really, from your client's perspective, you are Facebook, yes or no? From our client's perspective, a lot of our clients um, don't spend enough to be managed by Facebook. Facebook only manages about 200 accounts across Canada. I think that number is shrinking. So for a lot of our, especially our smaller advertisers, being managed by Facebook isn't an option. But even when you're managed by Facebook, they're not allowed turning the dials in almost all circumstances. Apparently, they got involved uh, with Prime Minister Trudeau, which is interesting. But typically, they don't turn the dials. And you need someone who's good at execution. So if you have resources internally that you want to focus on this, then you need that piece as well. If you don't, you could look to work with an agency. But yeah, our clients like of, of all sizes get really good support from Facebook and from us. Oh, that's really great. And that's, that's, you, you really hit a, hit a point there and something a lot of startups, business owners, even marketers per se is, is how you marketed yourself as a specialist. I mean, that, that, that not only was an aha moment for you, but I'm, I'm sure you, you talk about that with your clients as well as really understanding your market and, and be, be that expert in something. Well, I think it was more about positioning Abacus as that, not myself. Like our ad specialists are really, really good. They're ex-Facebookers. They're ex-Big um, Five Bank credit card acquisition people. So they're really the best of the best. So I think it was about building the team and, and the brand and the, our story and not just about me. Because I want this to be bigger and better than me. I want to learn. You can see that I sit with the team. We don't have an office. And that's because I'm learning so much every day that I can't pull myself away. So... Yeah, the team's really important, and it can't just be about me or Pete. It has to be about everyone. Well, and it's really, uh, it's really important for the the business leaders to sit there and with the team and really just really learn from each other. and And I think that shows uh, shows the culture. And something I want to hit home about and really talk about is I read that Abacus is something that you're building around and an obsession with culture. So let's expand more about that now that you're talking about how you sit with them, you have no office, and why are you really focused on that at this point in your early stage of your uh, existence? Yeah, we, we are pretty obsessed with it. We talk about it every day. Why are we obsessed with it? So a number of reasons. Um, I learned very early that it was a competitive advantage. In fact, because of our smallness and newness, we have a competitive advantage over big people who already have an emerged culture. 
So if I'm competing with a lot of people for talent and I am, culture will win the day a lot of times and a mission. So we started with a good mission. We started with a mission um, that was easy to explain to people and that people could get behind. From there, we figured out what we are, like what makes us different, what makes us valuable. We studied the Netflix culture deck to figure out what culture really is and came to the conclusion that it should repel the wrong people and attract the right people. And that's our litmus test. So like the classic example, I always wish I had a better example than the obvious one, but the obvious example is when people say like one of our cultural pillars is we're ethical. Is ethical going to be a filter for new hires? Everyone's going to say they're ethical. You're going to have no way to prove whether they're ethical or not. So it's completely useless. When we talk about some of our stuff, you know, and we have like a, a manifesto that we wrote that people read and they're either like, yeah, this is the place for us or that sounds like the worst place ever. And to be able to qualify and disqualify people at that level that quickly is super duper powerful. Like, I can't tell you how much time it saves. Then, you know, we think about the kind of thing that Pete and I want to create. So culture isn't all just what emerges. It's also what you want. We started with a blank piece of paper and we were like, we can write anything we want on here. So that was important to create something that we like an environment that we wanted to work in. We knew that the cultural stuff that people thought was important isn't. Like they're fooling themselves. They're doing like culture theater, you know, like the games tables and all this stuff and comfy chairs. That's not it. It's deeper than that. It's the kind of place you go to work every day and whether you're excited to go there or not. It's how people have your back when you need it. It's about the type of people we're looking for. And it's about the kind of team we want to be. So like Pete and I both meet potential hires separately. And if either of us don't think they're a fit for a culture, it doesn't matter how good they are. Um, and we've had arguments where we thought someone was good or not good, but like, it's really important because I'd rather stay our size forever than grow out of our culture, but it has to be taken care of all the time. And, and you really have to like manage it and work on it and talk about it and define it and figure out what it means. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting when you talk about culture and you really refer back to Pete, who's your co-founder. And tell me a little bit more how the two of you got together. And because it, you started with a blank slate with this culture, and, and you even said it, it's a blank slate, we write down what we want. So how how is that relationship growing, assuming it's fairly new with the business as well? Or how far back did you know him as well? We only go back a couple of years. We met at a marketing conference in Boston through a, a common friend, and we just got to talking. He has a monthly networking breakfast. I started going to it. We talked more. Started doing a little bit of work together. Talked about the year 2020 thing that we talked about. Just things started to take shape. Um, he had a, a full service ad agency that he sold. So he had already thought about like, what's the future? So that just came together that way. It's kind of unique because I have a lot of client side experience, buyer experience. He has a lot of agency side experience. So I think that's a good fit. So yeah, that's, that's how we met and came together. And we're super different. And we started talking about, you know, a combination of like, the kind of place we want to work in and the kind of people we wanted to work with, but also um, where work is going in the future and what you need to do to fit with that and not fight it. So we were like, we really don't care how many hours someone's in their seat. We know what they need to do. They know what they need to do. We're, what does um, Netflix call it? Tightly aligned on strategy, but they're loosely coupled in terms of how they work together. So they all know what they're trying to achieve, but they're, they're, 
pretty independent when it comes to executing. And here we think about it like um like a hive mind, like we all do our own thing, but when someone needs something, we all swarm in, have their back and then go back to it. So it's a different kind of thing. So we just kind of cre- decided like what kind of work environment we wanted and one of our early hires wanted to work at, from Europe and the only way we were going to hire them unbeknownst to us at the time was if we were willing to and we were like well we can't call ourselves this like modern distributed company if we're not willing to do this and if you can't walk the walk then change it to something that you can you know yeah don't don't put it on the don't put it on the wall people see through it so quickly this is what i don't understand like even if you're going to do a shitty job at culture fine but like how do you not see that people are seeing through it when you say something and do the other like it means that they don't believe any of the stuff anymore and and you could lose it it takes you so long to build it up and you could lose it so quickly and, and i'm sure be, i'm sure you see it as much as i see it as well within the startup culture or within businesses that are scaling at this point they started off with this distributed network or, or or the core beliefs so that you could work anywhere but then they have an office and office hours so it's kind of, it's, it's kind of the dumbfounded that i find and you're right you see right through it i'd rather create a place where people wanted to be the, in the office like that's the better question to solve for you're right, right why do people never want to be in the office like i understand wanting to work from home a day a week or something i do that all the time and i love it but like why is it important that you're not there? Why don't you want to be there? Like we all kind of like coming into work and hanging out together and that makes a huge difference. And because we're, we're scientific, like we're always just running experiments and seeing what happens. We can almost turn it into a game and now we kind of play every day and it's fun. Yeah. I mean, that that's really interesting. And I, I want to move over to the next topic because I'm really obsessed with culture as well and really understanding that. So I want to talk about some of the experiments that you ran looking back at your career. And when I read more about you, it's, at Borowell, you helped them gain early traction. You got, I don't know, what was it, over 100,000 credit, free credit reports, some key partnerships. So can you share some of your big learnings, some of your experiments? And, and it sounded like that it led you towards where you are today as well. Yeah, well, a million different things um, led to where we are today. Borowell was actually the first company I'd ever joined and not founded, but I just thought it was so unique, um, the opportunity and the timing and the team and the traction to date. So um it was a, a really good time. It was really exciting. From like a historical standpoint, we were like the first, first people trying to figure out how banks and fintechs could work together. So it was super exciting to be a part of. But what was overwhelming about Borowell was just how good the team was. It was a very senior team. It wasn't a typical startup team. Most of the people in key spots had 10 or 15 years experience doing what they did. So when we went around raising money, it was really an extraordinary team with very little team risk. And I, I guess in terms of general, like I learned to think really big, which I, Canadians aren't always great at doing. Don't sacrifice on team and have the best people. And, um, you know, prove everything out before you go all in on it. Like make sure something's a good idea before going all in is, is sort of some of the big learnings. But also, you know, like you have to stay really agile and nimble and you have to like, one of the hardest things about running a business is you need to be like really passionate, but also willing to like drop the concept on a dime if you learn better information. And that's really hard to put together. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you came in not as a founder. So you're, you're coming in within a key leadership role and you're pretty pivotal for the company to help grow and, and provide that expertise to, to the leadership team. So how, how, how did you have to change not being a founder in terms of being a leader as well? I mean, cause you now you're not in the sort of, sort of speak the driver's seat. Right. Yeah. A, a lot had to, um, 
I had to change. I had to learn it, learn to communicate better. I had to learn to communicate my ideas better. I had to learn to socialize ideas and not just, you know, drive them home. Um, I had to learn, I'm typically quite aggressive. So I had to learn that not everyone is and have to figure out the sacrifices. But yeah, I mean, it was just a, I think where I helped them the most was I had a lot of startup experience and a lot of the management team came from banking and finance. So I think that was really helpful. And I think that I helped create that sort of growth and experimental mindset where it was okay to do things wrong and, and to have a sort of like a scientific discipline to the process of growth and not just pushing for its own sake. No. Um, so I think that's where I probably helped, helped the most was sort of creating the, the, the culture for that to happen in. I see. And it sounded like it was a good fit because everyone was basically helping each other, coming from different organizations. So looking back now, as you grow your agency, I'm sure, uh, you know, your team and your responsibilities are changing every day. Everything is growing. People are distributed. Uh, so how are you now building yourself to be more of an effective leader given those experiences and where you want to grow Abacus and, 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 and what you're doing to be effective within the organization? Yeah. So like when I say we have hypotheses for things, we have hypotheses for everything. Mm -hmm. Like I had a hypothesis for leadership of this team, which was um, not something I had done before, which is basically to hire the best people I can and then to get out of their way. And I repositioned my, my job as a leader to sort of generally steer the ship in the right direction where I think the, oops, where I think the industry is going, but um, not to like have my hand on the wheel and let go a little bit and it's been amazing i'm happier the team's better i can go on vacations and um know that that everything's being taken care of so it really was a departure from the way that i thought about things in the past but it's been working really well so far it was and it was really nice to have that vision where you want to hit that hypothesis or that vision of leadership and and it's coming true right it, that must be a lot satisfying in terms of building a leadership team and really seeing it go as well. Entrepreneurs are never satisfied. Like there's always something that needs to be worked on or could be better. And that sounds like a good trait, but I actually think it's a bad one. And as the company's grown quick, I'd say quicker than we expected. Like you said, the roles change and it's, it's extremely challenging. Like growth sounds like the greatest thing, but it's very challenging. I spend about a third of my time meeting people as potential hires or partners. So that takes up a ton of my time. And as we grow, we need to work on processes, like abacus versions of processes. We're not very admin focused or process focused, but we know if we're going to grow at the rate that we've been growing at, we need that stuff in place. So we've been working on our own smart version of it. Um, we've been thinking about technology that we can build to streamline our team and, and really adjusting our predictions on the market as we get more and more information. Well, that's great. So where are you finding, I guess, when I talk to business leaders who are growing and scaling their business, you're getting into this one step at this point. And then as soon as you get your process in place, where do you think you foresee the next step or the next growth phase after that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the challenge is that the talent is really hard to find, that it's in demand from a lot of different companies right now, not just agencies, um, that the power is shifted to the candidate, not to the company in most examples, Interesting, which people haven't fully appreciated and figured out how to deal with. Um, and our growth may be nonlinear, meaning we may not be able to just project like adding a, a slow number of people and may need a lot of good people really quickly. 
So when I think about it, I think of like, how do I do something higher up in the funnel and not just wait until I need it? But it's, it's very, very challenging. It's what keeps me up at night. Jeff, are there any business or leadership books that are you, that maybe you're reading now or you recently read that gave you that aha moment and helped you push through you and your leadership style? Yeah, I'm going to kind of answer this from the side, not head on. Um, I don't read a lot of leadership stuff. I read a lot of business books. Okay. And a lot of them have leadership sort of embedded sure. through it because you get to see how someone leads by reading their stories. Um, I'm not like a motivational rah-rah type guy. Mm-hmm. In fact, my tolerance for that is, 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 um, famously low, but I do see how people lead. The book that I read very, very recently and really loved was called The One Device. And the book is about the history and, I guess, social impact of the iPhone, the best-selling consumer product ever. And the book had, I think, had two agendas. Agenda number one was to show the actual impact to the world of producing an iPhone. One, one stat that st- sticks out in my mind is 75 pounds of ore need to be mined for every iPhone. Like, that's crazy. That's nuts. I never <laughs> even to, knew that. Just to extract, extract these crazy... Um, precious metals that they need for all this stuff. Like just crazy stories like that. The other half was to say that Steve Jobs gets the credit for the iPhone when thousands and thousands of people from product people at Apple all the way down to Chile and not Chile, um, where, where they mine these things all played this critical role and without any of it, it couldn't happen. And he's, I get what he's saying. He, he's right. A whole b- bunch of people needed to do a whole bunch of amazing things. But I guarantee with jobs not there, it wouldn't have happened. I think they compressed 10 years of activity into two years of development. And, and that wouldn't have happened on anyone else's watch. So not that Steve Jobs is my leadership model because he was a little bit psycho. <laughs> but like anyone who does something big like Elon or Steve Jobs, like they had this role where they were going to bend assumptions and do things as quick as they needed to happen. Because if it took 10 years, it wouldn't have happened. So I think a lot about leadership through that frame because the book was trying to take some credit away from Jobs for the creation of the iPhone. But I just feel that like it was his X factor that was the key success factor, regardless of the fact that other people were involved. So thinking about how Steve led that ship to build out the iPhone and you thinking about your culture and your leadership style, quick Question I'd love to ask. It's a little fun and it might be sort of with your hypothesis. If I were to ask any of your team colleagues, your peers, what is the best leadership quality you possess today? What do you think they would say? Oh man, I'd totally be afraid to ask that question. (laughs) I would never ask a question that I potentially don't want the answer to. Right. Every time I get introverted, then I just get my feelings hurt. I'm oversensitive. So it pains me to even think of this question. I don't know the answer. I, I don't, I know what I want it to be. I don't know if that's what it is. I asked my co-founder like very recently if he thought I was a boss or a leader. He answered a leader, but honestly, what's he going to say? If he says a boss, like we're going to fight. So <laughs> who knows if that was like an accurate portrayal, <laughs> but I like to think about leading. I like to think about thinking about the future. I like to think about being a creator of the future and not a spectator of the future. And I like to, like I said, lead by example. There's these Facebook blueprint exams that the whole team had to take. We wanted to be the first agency where everyone was blueprint certified. But one problem, these tests were really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And when I say really hard, like 10x what you're thinking hard. It wasn't that the content was hard. We all know Facebook ads inside out. It was that they were set up to be really hard tests because they didn't want everyone to be able to pass them. So it was three of them and you had to pass all of them. The minimum pass score was 700. We had a deadline to do it. People were waiting till the end. There was all these modules to study. I was like, you know what? Screw 
screw it. I'm going to do it. If I fail, maybe I just won't tell them. Yeah, yeah. And if I pass, it's like, cool, I did it. You guys know this better than me. Now you have some more confidence to go and do it. If you have any questions, come ask me. And I feel like there was a turning point in sort of our collective achievement of that goal by me doing it first. Uh, and there was a, a bit of risk on my part. But the downside was way less than the upside of getting everyone motivated and seeing that it was doable. One of them I passed by the skin of my teeth, like it was close. Wow. But now we're all Blueprint certified and Facebook cares a lot about that. And we got so much smarter collectively by studying and it was great. Yeah, no, and, and everyone everyone's an all-star on that. But you really showed by doing it yourself that, listen, it's doable. And I think that's a key example of, of how you lead by example by doing this hard hard test for the team and before anyone does it did you wait last minute to do it or or? no i wanted to i wanted one of my goals was to get them doing it quicker so i did it kind of earlier in the in the period did you did you know you're gonna plan that ahead like you were gonna do it first or did you wait a couple days and realize no one's touching it yet i think i gained an understanding how hard it was gonna be and it made me nervous that people weren't gonna pass so i needed everyone to take it a little bit more seriously um, so when I went through it and had firsthand experience on how, how hard it was, I think I was able to scare them a little more. So now you're growing, you're scaling Abacus now. Um, I'm a little hesitant to ask. I know you do a lot of hacks, experiments, but what, what's next for you? I know, I know you're going on vacation, you're taking some time off, but perhaps do you have any special projects, special things that your initiatives that you're trying to get into or something you're looking forward to? Yeah, there's lots, man building out some intellectual property in areas of technology and and big data, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, developing some more partnerships with other key players that we've, we've had success in to date, building out our client base and hiring more and keeping assembling sort of the A team of Facebook marketers, Um, expanding our presence into the U S because Facebook in the U S is actually a better product. There's more data and tools available in in the U S versus Canada. Also the scale is much bigger which makes some of the tools work better there than here. So established presence in the U.S., uh, that'll keep us busy for a little while. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, how, I don't even know how you're going to go on vacation just with, with that all in your mind. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm going to have very much problem. It was a very busy summer. Um, I spoke at this event called Fireside Conference, um, which took place at a actual kids' summer camp four hours from Toronto, okay. kind of close to Ottawa. It was 400 like tech founders and sleeping in bunks and different people were talking and it was kind of more like personal stories than business stories. But so the night before we leave, I'm packing and I call Pete because Pete had been there last year. And I was like, Pete, do they have chargers in the cabins? Like, can I charge my phone or do I need to like recruit every portable charger I've ever been given at a conference, charge them all up and basically bring my own power? And he's like, oh, no, mate, no, mate. That's me doing his British accent. Yeah. Um, there's, there's power, there's power. And so I was like, great. And then I forgot to ask the more critical question, is there internet? And there wasn't. There was no cellular reception. There was no Wi-Fi. So 400 tech founders who found out, like me, maybe at the last minute, or some of them knew, there was going to be no email, text, or phoning for 72 hours. So we were pretty squirrely at the beginning, and then I think we really settled into it. And by the end, it was like, wow, this is nice. Life is good. Yeah. <laughs> Life is good. It made me think it's not about doing work. It's about a notification culture that's formed. We're a slave to notifications. Notifications represent the promise of anything, but they're usually spam. So like you think you're getting an email from Zuckerberg, but you really got like 
American Eagle has a 20% off sale and you've never even bought anything from there. But like you're a slave to the notifications. There were different parts in the camp where you would catch a little bit of signal and your phone would start going off like a slot machine. And the pressure <laughs> at that point was all this stuff that you were missing where if you didn't hear the notifications, you wouldn't know you were missing it. Wow. So notifications are pretty, uh, pretty, pretty dark. No, no, definitely. Well, thank you. <laughs> I can't even imagine. But uh, listen, Jeff, I'm having a blast. I'm really learning a lot about about you, your leadership stuff, and where you're growing. And it's it's very inspiring. And I, I know you mentioned you're, you're very low in this inspiration type of things, but it's very it's very great to share your leadership. So I'd love to end. Uh, before we end, I'd love to get your final thoughts, observations, and, and specifically some type of actionable recommendation for the listeners out there that are looking to grow as either a business leader or they're, or they're growing their business or, or they're looking even to the marketing segment. Anything you can share? Well, I'll let them in on a secret. And that secret is that we're all to some degree just winging it. And we're figuring it out as we go. And we're being responsive and we're paying attention. And we're not getting too um, in love with our own ideas or entrenched in our own positions because we are we really are winging it. Like there's stuff that comes up all the time that you've never dealt with. So you talk about it and you think about it and you enlist friends. If you have a good network, you can basically like I call that the Zuckerberg effect. Like any problem he has, there's someone great he could call who's had the problem, who's an expert on it, who will answer the call from him. So if you have a good network, you can kind of like figure out people who have gone through the problems you've had and get in touch with them. And, um, probably hang out with other people doing the same thing as you, like other entrepreneurs, if you're an entrepreneur, because those people will like understand you better and will be able to give you better advice because they know where you're coming from. But we're all winging it. Don't be so hard on yourself. Well, if you do something and it's wrong, that's fine. No for next time. Don't make second mistakes and have fun. So to close, Jeff, please tell us more where we can find more information about you, Abacus, or any of this intellectual property or, or things that you'll, or maybe even other like fireside conferences that you might be speaking at. So our website at Abacus is abacus.agency. For you latecomers, there's no .com or .ca, just .agency. My website is jeffgoldenberg.net. Even though I'm on Facebook all day for work, I'm mostly partial to Twitter for personal. So if anyone has any questions or wants to say hi, um, I think I'm Jeff underscore Goldenberg on Twitter, and uh, I'd love for you to say hi. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast. Thank you for having me. That's it, folks. Thank you for listening to episode 34 of the Business Leadership Podcast with Jeff Goldenberg. I really enjoyed talking with Jeff, learning more about the Facebook advertising platform, what it takes to be a leader in the startup environment, and how you grow a company successfully. To learn more about Jeff, Abacus, or anything he mentioned, please visit the episode website at thebusinessleadership.com slash 034. Thank you for all the messages. I really do appreciate all the comments, the questions, the suggestions. Keep them coming. Feel free to contact me directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Lastly, if you are enjoying the content, please rate and leave a comment on iTunes. It's going to help me and the podcast grow. Thank you again. And until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. <laughs>